Today, I want to talk to you about the power of decision. The power of decision. Uh, before we get started, I want to try to illustrate it a little bit. So in real life, which is our student ministry here, we usually start things off with a game. Well, I'm a student pastor. It's Sunday morning, but I'm still a student pastor. So we're going to start things off with a game. So what I need is two contestants. And before you are like, wait, wait, wait. Let me tell you, there's nothing bad that can come from losing this game, okay? It's not like a normal youth ministry game where if you lose, you get a pie in the face or something crazy, okay? So if, if you don't do well in this game, nothing bad is going to happen. There's, I'll tell you this, there's $12 on the line, 12 possible whole dollars, okay? So can I have two contestants who want to play? It's super easy. All you have to do is pick a cup. That's all it takes. I just need two. I see a hand. Come on up. Come on up. And there's no one. Come on up. All right. So while you were on your way up here, oh, Topanga, you just graduated from real life. So you, you know how the games work. You got it. So what's going to happen is, is when you get up here, I'm going to let you take turns and you're going to pick one of these cups. Okay. And as you pick the cup, there's going to be either something or nothing underneath of it. Okay. If there is something underneath of it, you get to keep whatever's underneath it. If there's nothing, you get to keep that as well. Okay, pretty easy, right? Now there's intense music playing because this is a tense decision. Okay, we'll start, what's your name? I don't know your name. Greg. Okay, Greg and Topanga. All right, Topanga, we're gonna start with you because ladies first. So you just get to pick any cup that you want. But let me tell you, the decision that you make right now is going to change your life, okay, forever. Easy? Okay, pick a cup, pick a cup, any cup. All right, $10 right off the bat. Congratulations, Topanga, good job. You can, you can just hang on to the cup. All right, Greg, you're up. Pick a cup. This decision is gonna change your life. A dollar, congratulations. All right, Topanga, you get to go again. There's one more dollar in there somewhere. Wow, you got all three on the first three tries. Good job, congratulations. You can go again if you want, but all of those are, they don't have anything in them, so sorry. But congratulations, let's give our contestants a round of applause. Thank you very much for your help. So the decision that they just made in this game increased their net worth in essence, right? The decision they made changed their life. Now, it, it may have been a small change, $12 in total really isn't all that much, right? But it's still a change. It's something that's going to change their life. That is an example of the power of decision. The decisions that you make will forever sculpt the future that you have ahead of you. Think back with me to the first part of scripture in the book of Genesis when God was creating literally everything, right? The last thing he created was mankind, but we are different, right? We're different than the rest of creation because we were created in the image of God. There's many ways in which we are created in the image of God, but I believe that part of that, a big part of that, is that we as humans, we have free will. We have the ability to choose. We have the power of decision. All other living things follow the seasons or animal instinct, but what makes us different is that God has given us the ability to choose the power of decision. There are those that would say that it is our ability to make decisions that ultimately shape the world in which we live. 
Therefore, our power of decision has creative power that mirrors the creative ability of God. This is the reality that the world you live in is in large part shaped by the decisions that you make. In short, the decisions that you make, make you. Today we're going to look at David, a man who honored God with many of his decisions. If you have a Bible with you today, you can turn to 1 Samuel chapter 30, which is where we'll be for the majority of our time today. But before we get into that chapter, I want to give you some context. I want to explain to you what's happening before we get to chapter 30. So, if you know much of the story of David and Saul, you know that David was an impressive man, right? He was a great warrior, a fantastic leader who had a lot of potential to be a king. Saul, who was the current king, found this very threatening. So David and Saul, they didn't get along because of this tension of competition that was constantly between them. So David was given many opportunities to actually kill King Saul, but he never did, even though Saul was trying to kill him. But David never did this because he believed that it would be wrong for him to kill the king that was put there by God. Saul continued to chase David, and David was not going to kill Saul, so it was just this endless chase, and he didn't know what to do, which brings us to 1 Samuel 27, verse 1. And David said in his heart, I shall now perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than that I should speedily escape into the land of the Philistines, which were their enemies. And Saul shall despair of me. To seek me any more in any coast of Israel, so shall I escape out of his hand. So David, he heads to the land of the Philistines with 600 men, 600 of his companions that followed him, who were loyal to David and said, look, we're going to go with you. So they all left and they went to the land of the Philistines where they meet with King Achish, who was the king of a place called Gath. So Saul, he actually begins to stop chasing David after he goes to the Philistines, because once he's with the Philistines, Saul decides, I don't want anything to do with him. David can just do his own thing over in the Philistine territory because it doesn't bother me as king of Israel. So David and King Achish, they became, they became pretty, uh, pretty good acquaintances. Uh, David would go and he would, uh, he would raid other cities and he would bring it back and say, look, King Achish, I got all this from you. It was from an Israelite city when in fact it was actually from a Philistine city. But he did it to kind of get on, on good terms with King Achish so that they could become uh, not enemies, basically. So David, after a while, he goes to King, uh, King Achish and he says, look, King, we've been in Gath for a year and four months now and we're kind of just like in your, your royal city of Gath and, we, you know, we don't want to, you know, cause you any trouble. So how about you just give us our own place to stay so that way we're not bothering you anymore. So King Achish agrees and says, here, you can have this land called Ziklag. Picture with me. Welcome to Ziklag, right? And this is where the Israelites, or David and his 600 men, now get to stay. This is their home for the time being. So in chapter 8, we now find that the Philistines, which remember are Israel's enemies, have decided to go to war against Israel, which was David's homeland, God's chosen people. So King Achish, he wants David and his 600 men to fight along with them because he knows what a great warrior David and his men are. In chapter 29, after they decide to go ahead and go to war with the Philistines against Israel, the Philistines are marching with all of their armies, this great Philistine army, to go fight against Israel. And the leaders among the Philistines notice David and his 600 men. And here's what happens in verse 3 of chapter 29. 
Then said the princes of the Philistines, What do these Hebrews hear? Or why are they here? And Achish said unto the princes of the Philistines, Is not this David, the servant, of the, the servant of Saul, the king of Israel, which hath been with me these days or these years, and I have found no fault in him since he fell unto me unto this day? And the princes of the Philistines were wroth with him, or very angry with him. And the princes of the Philistines said unto him, Make this fellow return, that he may go again to his place, which thou hast appointed him. And let him not go down with us to battle, lest in the battle he be an adversary to us, for wherewith should he reconcile himself unto his master? Should it not be with the heads of these men? Is not this David of whom they sang one to another in dances, saying, Saul slew his thousands and David his ten thousands? These leaders uh, among the Philistines noticed David and said, why are these Hebrews here? They can't be here with us. We don't know if they're loyal to us yet. So they approach King Achish, and Achish says, I don't see anything wrong with David. He's been great to me the, the past year and a half that he's been here with me. I, I don't see any problem to why he shouldn't go to war. And they say, well, he's a great warrior, and if he all of a sudden changes his loyalty from us to them and starts killing all of us, well, it's going to be really bad. Who should this happen around? Not around our guys, so David needs to go. So with the influence of these Philistine leaders, King Achish decides, all right, We'll tell David and his 600 men that they need to go the next morning. So the next morning, David and his men, they leave the battlefield and return to their home of Ziklag. He and his 600 men. Let me ask you this. How do you think David felt at this point? I mean, he's got to be discouraged, right? Like, really discouraged. The king of Israel hates him, wants to kill him. The king of Achish, who he thought he was friends with, was now influenced by the other leaders and sends him away. He says, hey, we don't want you to be any part of our battle. He's left God's people, the Israelites. Not only did he leave them, but he was about to go into war against them. He moves somewhere new, helps out the king. Leaders send him away. He can't do what he's good at, which was be a leader in battle. I mean, David, he just doesn't really have a whole lot going for him right now, right? It's just, just not his day. And if we're honest, maybe some of us feel this way coming out of this past year that we just had. 2020 was, it was a tough year for a lot of people. Some more than others. It's just been hard. And maybe you feel like, I just, I just don't have a lot going for me coming into 2021. I just don't. Now, I'm not saying that 2021 is going to be worse. I'm not saying that it's going to be better. Nobody knows until we get into it. I, I sure hope it gets better. We're three days in and it seems pretty good so far. But who knows what the future holds, right? It could change. Here's what I am saying, though. The decisions that David made in the context of this very bad things that were happening in his life, the decisions that he made helped shape his future. And the future that David had ended up eventually getting better. And I believe that that's greatly in part to the decisions that he made. So all of that brings us to our text for today, 1 Samuel chapter 30. So let's get into it, starting in verse 1. And it came to pass, when David and his men were come to Ziklag on the third day, that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag, and smitten Ziklag, and burned it with fire, and had taken the women captives that were therein. They slew not any, that's important, either great or small, but carried them away and went on their way. 
So David and his men came to the city, and behold, it was burned with fire. And their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captives. Then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives were taken captives, Ahinoam the Jezreelitess and Abigail the wife of Nabal the Carmelite. As we work through this passage today, I want you to see that David had to make four critical decisions. Four decisions that helped sculpt David's future. Now I can imagine uh, David and his 600 men as they got closer to Ziklag, closer to home. They were beginning to probably get a little excited because they're, they're coming home after they were almost in a battle, right? And so they're excited. They're going to see their families again. And then off in the distance, they see some smoke. Well, some smoke isn't, isn't too out of the normal, right? It's, they didn't have stoves and stuff, so they had fires to cook their food and everything. But they get closer and realize that that's way too much smoke. And I can imagine they all begin pointing and talking and then they get closer and closer and then it gets really quiet and their walk turns into a fast walk and their fast walk turns into a run as they get closer and closer to Ziklag to find that their homes have been burnt. They go in, they start looking around frantically for all their, uh, their families and they're met with a, a little bit of hope maybe because they didn't find their families dead but at the same time they didn't find their families at all. Their sisters, their daughters, their sons, their wives, they're all gone. This would be a a very traumatic and painful situation for anyone. And this is when David is faced with his first decision. The first decision that David makes is David decides to press through his pain. David decides to press through his pain. I mean, this is a terrible situation. But David was affected too. Not only was he now leading these people whose families have been taken and homes burnt, David's family was taken. His home was burnt. And because David is the leader, his men begin to talk about him behind his back. And they begin to blame him, because he's the leader, for everything that went wrong. David quickly realizes that his friends were fake and his enemy was very real. But David decides that he's going to press through his pain. He says, no matter how much this hurts or how bad it has been, I'm not going to sit in my sorrows and sadness. I'm going to get up and I'm going to do something about it. David was affected by this just like they were. But the difference is that the 600 men were so mad that the only thing that they can think about doing was killing David. Was blaming David for what had happened. These 600 men, they did this because they were immature. Immaturity takes disappointment and turns it into bitterness, which then has to be blamed on somebody else. And this is what immaturity does. But maturity decides to press through the pain. David refused to be held hostage by his pain. He was not going to let his pain get in the way of what God had for his future. David said, I cannot allow what I've been through to hold me down so that I cannot go to what God has for me. Notice something here though, because I don't want you to, to hear me wrong on this. David did not deny the pain. David didn't go to his people and say, guys, this really isn't bad. Like, it's no big deal. 
He never said that their pain was not important. He never said that it didn't hurt. He never said that their pain wasn't real, because it was. It was very real. David was feeling it too. The point is that he pressed through it. The principle here is not that the pain isn't real or that it doesn't affect you. The principle is to press through your pain. You have to make a decision. Are you going to sit and be held hostage by your pain or are you going to press through it and pursue the future that God has for you, acknowledging that God must have something better for you? Now here's the problem that hurts so many of us today that hurt these 600 men. The men, they're all weeping and acting as if their families have been killed. Remember in the verses we, we read that it said that they slew not any. Well, they didn't know that they didn't kill any of them. All they knew was that their families were gone. But they automatically assumed the worst. They assumed that they had been killed. They had already given up. So how often do we make worse of a situation than it really is? For me personally, I'll say all the time. We go through bad things. We do. But how often do we make it worse than it truly is? I know I've, I've, you guys have probably heard the saying, that's the worst, or this is the worst, right? Oh, I'm stuck in traffic. Oh, that's the worst. Is that the worst? I mean, there's a whole lot more things out there that are way worse than being stuck in traffic. But we tend to make worse of our situations than they really are. Was 2020 bad? Yeah, it was bad. Was it the worst? There's worse out there. I'm sure there is. It may be the worst that we've gone through up until this point, but is it the worst ever? No. We exaggerate our pain at times. If we think about it, we really are very spoiled people, right? If we look around the things that God has given to us, we're all here in a heated building. Uh, You probably got here in a car. You probably ate breakfast this morning, and if you didn't, you're probably going to eat lunch this afternoon. And you probably don't have to like hunt and search where that's going to come from other than picking out a restaurant or picking out what food to eat at home. We're we're a blessed people. 2020 was hard, but we're done with it now. We made it through. We're in a new year. Our homes haven't been burned down and our families haven't been stolen. Things can always be worse. We tend to exaggerate our pain. And again, don't hear me wrong, I'm not saying that the pain wasn't real or that it didn't hurt, because it did. I am saying that you have to decide whether you will be held hostage by your pain or press through your pain to pursue the future that God has for you. So David, he comes back to Ziklag, homes burnt, families stolen, and everyone is in great pain. And the first decision that David has to make is to press through his pain. This brings us to the first part of verse 6. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spake of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. So not only is David dealing with the pain from losing all that he has lost, but now his friends, they're talking about him. And if people back then are like people are today, they probably didn't go right up to David's face and say, David, we're going to stone you, right? They probably talked amongst each other and said, David is the one who got us into this mess. Let's stone David. And then David overheard it and he gets a little stressed out. The Bible says he was greatly distressed. I would be too. If you had all decided that you were going to stone me and I heard about it, I would be pretty stressed out, right? So David was stressed out and and rightfully so. 
But then David had to make a decision. The last part of that verse says, but David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. The second decision that David makes is David decides to find strength in his stress. David was not going to be stressed out by the public opinion. Not that stress didn't come. The verse starts with him greatly distressed, right? He was stressed out. Here's the thing. You're always going to have people in your life who doubt you, who oppose you, who discourage you, who are against you. You just have to decide to find strength in the midst of it. So how was David able to ignore these rumors and the ignorance from those around him? How did he find strength in his stress? Well, I think David knew a few things to start out. I think David knows that the source of his strength has never been the people around him. David knows that what wakes him up in the morning was not those guys with him. David knows that what helped him take down the giant Goliath was not those 600 men. David knows that what has kept him safe during all of his battles and during his fighting with King Saul has not been these guys with him. David knows that his value and his worth and who he is don't come from those people around him. In fact, David one day cries out in Psalm 27:1 that the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Listen, David knew that it didn't matter what all these people around him thought. It didn't matter how angry they were with him because his strength and his source was not them. It was found in God. And when the Lord is your strength and your source, you don't need anybody else's approval. So after David rejects these rumors, he ignores the ignorance of these people. The Bible says that he encouraged or he strengthened himself. Let's go back to English class a little bit. You ready? David, subject, encouraged or strengthened, verb, himself, object. Notice, subject and the object are the same person. Nobody was there to encourage or strengthen David. So David had to do it himself. He had to step up and he had to strengthen and encourage himself. David realized that if I can't count on my own men to encourage me and to strengthen me, that's okay because there's some things that I've learned to do myself. I don't know who needs to hear this today, but you need to know that if you can't get encouragement or strength from anybody else, you need to get it from yourself. You have to learn to encourage yourself, to love yourself, to take care of yourself. Learn to talk with yourself. Now, I'm not crazy, but you need to talk with yourself. Self, it's going to be okay. Self, God is with you. Self, God's in control. God's going to make a way. Self, this isn't going to last forever. It's eventually going to end. Spurgeon said, Charles Spurgeon said, some of the best talks in the world are those which a man has with himself. He who speaks to everybody except himself is a great fool. Let me ask you this. In a year of COVID-19, social distancing, and cancellation of events, how have you been doing when it comes to strengthening yourself? 
if there's been uh, nothing and nobody there to encourage you to be involved in church, have you been able to encourage yourself to be involved in church? If there hasn't been uh, worship the same as there has been in the past where we get to come in this room and sing with each other, have you been able to worship God by yourself? Have you been able to encourage yourself to spend time with other people, whether that's virtually or uh, safely in person, however you can do it, when we haven't been able to in the same way? You have to learn to encourage, to strengthen yourself. Now everybody knows that it is great. It is so nice when people encourage you, right? When somebody comes up to me and they encourage me and strengthen me, I love that. But it's, it's not always there. There's been times when I have been discouraged and felt weak and nobody came along and encouraged me and strengthened me. So I have to know that I need to do it myself. I have to say, self, God loves you. Self, God has you here for a reason. Self, God's got it. Don't worry about it. I, I have to know that I can do that. But why was David able to do this himself? This isn't really an easy thing to do. What's the second part of that phrase? But he strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Let me say that again. Tell me if I get it wrong. He strengthened himself in the Lord God. Was that correct? No. It's not the Lord God. He says the Lord his God. The Lord his God. You have to look back on your past year and see what God has done for you. Not what God has done for this church, not what God has done for our nation, not what God has done just for your family, what God has done for you. If you look back on your year, you will see that God has done things for you. You know, this is how you know that you're growing in a relationship with God. He's not just a God, He's not just the God, He's not just our God, but you can truly say, He's my God. And he loves me. And I love him. And he's my God. When you can truly say that, that it's, that it's not just uh, the religion of your family or the religion of your church, but he's your God. That's how you know you're growing in a deeper relationship with him. He's my God and I will strengthen myself in my God. So David decided he's going to press through his pain. He's going to find strength in his stress. Well, let's continue with the story. David sought the Lord about whether or not he should pursue the Amalekites and the Lord tells him to pursue them. And he says, when you do pursue them, you'll actually recover all that you lost and some more. So in verse 9 it says, So David went, he and the 600 men that were with him, and came to the brook Basor, where those that were left behind stayed. But David pursued he and 400 men. For 200 abode behind, which were so faint that they could not go over the brook Basor. So David, he's now faced with his next decision. And here's the choice that David makes. David continued without all of his companions. David continued without all of his companions. This is a tough one. God tells David to pursue, and he does. But then he has to decide, am I going to stay with them while they recuperate, or am I going to press on without them and do what God has called me to do? 
there's going to be times in your life when you know that God is calling you to something. And whenever God is calling you to something, that means he has to be calling you away from something else. Now this is difficult because we often have this sense of indebtedness towards other people. And we should. We should be very grateful for what other people have done in our lives. But we must realize that we are not leaving them behind because they did anything wrong necessarily, but simply because God does not have them in the next chapter of your life in the same role that they currently play. And we have to accept that. We have to be okay with it. I like to think of it uh, like marriage. When I got married, my life became no longer about my siblings and my parents. And my parents, they no longer have this responsibility to watch over my every move and be sure that I'm staying out of trouble. My wife gets to do that now. That's just, that's not the role of my parents anymore. Another thing is, is I shouldn't be looking towards my parents to support me financially and provide housing for me because my parents are in a different role in my life now. Did they do anything wrong? No, no, not at all. I have great parents. But I'm in a different spot in life. I'm in a different chapter. Now let's say this. Let's say that I did try to bring my parents into my marriage at the same role and capacity that I had them in when I was a teenager. How would my marriage do? Not good, not good. If, if my parents came into my life, if I tried to bring them into my life in the same role that they were when I was a teenager, they would be trying to, to hover over our entire marriage. They would be trying to provide housing for it. That's just not the way it's supposed to be because we're in a different chapter in life. Listen, here's the point. You have to acknowledge that God's purpose for you is not God's purpose for everyone. God's purpose for you is not God's purpose for everyone. If you're not willing to accept the different roles that God has for other people in your life, you will be stuck with them rather than pursuing what God has for you. So David, he decided to continue without all of his, compa- all of his companions, and here is what happened, starting in verse 11. And they found an Egyptian in the field and brought him to David and gave him bread and he did eat and they made him drink water and they gave him a piece of cake of figs and two clusters of raisins and when he had eaten his spirit came again to him for he had eaten no bread nor drunk any water three days and three nights and David said unto him to whom belongest thou and whence art thou and he said I am a young man of Egypt servant to an Amalekite and my master left me because three days ago I fell sick. He made an invasion upon the south of the Cherethites and upon the coast which belongeth to Judah and upon the south of Caleb and we burned Ziklag with fire. And David said to him, Canst thou bring me down to this company? And he said, Swear unto me by God that thou wilt neither kill me nor deliver me into the hands of my master and I will bring thee down to this company. Now let's think about this servant for a second. He hadn't had any food or water in three days. Now, I'm not in the medical field or anything. My wife's a nurse, but I know that if you don't have water or food for three days, you're going to start to die, right? People need water to survive. And this servant, he hadn't had food or water in three days. He's about to die. So if David would have stayed with his companions back at the Brook Basor, the 200 that had to stay behind, that servant, he would have died. 
David had to decide if he was going to stay with the 200 who were not of any benefit at this point in his life or if he was going to move on and let God bless him with the one that he needed. Because David continued without all of his companions, he was able to find his enemy and their stolen families. All because he made the tough decision. It's a tough decision to go on without all of his companions. Continuing without those who were in your life can be hard. But if we fast forward a little bit in this story, uh, spoiler alert, David ends up getting all their stuff back and he comes back home. They're on their way back to Ziklag and they come to the Brook Basor and there's those 200 men that they left behind. This is going to blow your mind. Those 200 that were at the Brook Basor, they were just fine. They were totally fine. Sometimes I think that we feel as if, if we, if we uh, continue on without all of our companions because our purpose, the, God, the purpose that God has for us is different than the purpose that God has for them. And if I continue on without them, man, their life is going to be terrible because I'm going away. He comes back to the brook. They're fine. They're totally fine. And they were fine because David wasn't the one providing that for them. God says, I will take care of them. I will provide for them. I will be their strength. I will give them purpose in life. I will lead them. I will protect them. Thing is, is you are nobody's Jesus. If, if Jesus is all that a person needs, then they don't need you. And that may be hard to hear, but it's the truth. We have to be willing to accept that the role that God had somebody in our life today may not be the same role that they have them in our life the next day. We have to accept that God's purpose for me is different than God's purpose for you. You don't need them. They don't need you because if they have Jesus, then they have all that they need. David had to make some decisions. He had to press through his pain. He had to find strength in his stress. He had to continue without all of his companions. Then the story continues and the slave leads David and the 400 men that are with him to the Amalekites. So David and his men, they attack and overcome them and then they head back home to Ziklag with more than they had lost to begin with. That's because the Amalekites had raided other cities and took their stuff as well. So when David and his men defeated the Amalekites, they got all of their stuff plus all the other stuff uh, that they had collected in the meantime. So they get back and David is overcome with generosity after experiencing God's goodness. And so he starts to distribute all that they had gained from the Amalekites. And then this happens in verse 22. Then answered all the wicked men and the men of Belial of those that went with David and said, Because they went not with us, we will not give them aught of the spoil that we have recovered. Save to every man his wife and his children, that they may lead them away and depart. Of the men that went with David, there were some who thought that they were the reason that they got back what they got back. They were taking the credit for the spoil that they now had. They told David that those who stayed at the brook, they shouldn't get anything more than their own wife and children back. They don't deserve it. They didn't go into battle with us. The 400 are, are so angry at the 200 who didn't go to battle. You know, it's, it's a sad Christian 
who receives the goodness of God and is still angry at someone else. As 400 of his men are angry with the other 200 for not going to battle, David makes one more decision. And he makes this decision while the 400 are telling David, look, David, you did this. You deserve the credit for this. Here's what David decides. David decides to give God all the glory. David decides to give God all the glory. In 1 Samuel 30, verse 23, verse 23, it says, Then said David, Ye shall not do so, my brethren, with that which the Lord hath given us, who hath preserved us and delivered the company that came against us into our hand. David knew that God was the one who caused the victory, that God was the one who gave back all that was lost. David, he gave God all the credit because God deserved all the credit. David couldn't take any of that credit. He knew that God did it. Anything that you have that's good in your life, the credit goes to God. God is the one who has blessed you in that way. David decides to give God all the glory. Maybe that's why God favors David like he did. That's why we know him today as a man after God's own heart. Anytime David had a victory in his life, he gave all all of the credit back to God. He continually leaned on God and thanked him for what he had done. We all know 2020 has been rough. We're done with it now, but it was rough. But if we look back at how God has blessed in the midst of it, we can give glory to God. And I know it was a, it was a bad year. I know that. But there's good that happened in it. And if you can't find any good in 2020, that's because you're choosing not to find any good in it. It's there. Look back, find it, rejoice in it, and give God all of the credit that he deserves. Give God the glory for what he's done. And we do that because God is the only one that's worthy of all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise. So the power of decision. David is known as the man after God's own heart because of the decisions that he made. And if you know the story of David, you know that not all of his decisions were the right decisions. And you're not going to make the right decision every time. But if you understand that your decisions, every single one of them has power, it should help you make the right decision. There are many things in life that are out of our hands, but if there's anything that we can control in this coming year, it's the decisions that we make. This year, I'm challenging you to harness the power of decision by pressing through your pain, by finding strength in your stress, by continuing without all of your companions and giving all of the glory to God. It's been a rough year, but we're in a new one. So let's head into 2021 knowing that God is good and that God is faithful because he is. There's great power in decisions. And I pray that you will use that power wisely this year.